Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Won't You Be My Neighbor, directed by Morgan Neville and released in 2018. The plot goes something like this. An exploration of the life, lessons, and legacy of the iconic children's television host, Fred Rogers. Um, and this is a, a documentary, so spoilers are a really weird way to describe this, but we'll do a bit of a spoiler-free section um, up front to tell you whether we think you should see this film before we talk about spoilers, I guess. I want to say yes. Um, I, I thought it was great. I came at it with a very specific point of view. I wanted to come into it looking at his pedagogy and his um, background in child psychology and how he applied that and a lot of that sort of thing. So that was my main interest in this documentary. Um, but I think it's also a really enjoyable, interesting documentary. Um, and it's a really interesting look into somebody who was nice for a living in ways that we don't normally think about niceness and goodness and how he applied that in his life. And I think it's a really valuable experience to have. Um, but I don't know if ever, any, I don't know if everybody's going to get out of it what I enjoyed out of it. Mm. So I really, really enjoyed this, despite having no background with Mr. Rogers. Like the first I ever heard of Mr. Rogers was a few years ago when people started sharing the look for the helpers quote mm. every time like a big disaster happened. So really like he never aired in Australia. I don't know that he aired much outside of the US. So there isn't really a background here. We were we got Sesame Street and things like that from PBS, but for some reason we never got Mr. Rogers' Neighbourhood. I don't know why, but – there are probably a number of reasons which we can go into about why it might have never have aired out here. But I just thought this was absolutely lovely. I haven't cried this much in a film in ages. Like, mm. oh, my goodness, there's just some bits in it that really got me tearing up. Like he was just really amazing. And it's got a lot to say about the world and politics and the birth of television, public broadcasting, mm. like all kinds of really interesting topics that it goes into that – it um it's it's quite it's really good and and the way it tells the story and the way it leads you through his life i think is really well done it's a really well made documentary um that kind of goes from it very much starts out with if you don't know mr rogers like me it starts out with a bit of an introduction to who he is and what his public persona is but if you do know him it starts out with the what he's known for and then it delves underneath that through the probably the second and third acts of of the doco and it's just really really well made yeah so i think i would say yes you should see it uh in australia it seems to be airing or it seems to be running to the end of its cinema run mm. i don't i think a lot of people like me just don't know who mr rogers is and so mm. haven't uh wanted to go and see it which is fine but it is a great one if you do get a chance to catch it and if you are a mr rogers fan i think you really want to see it don't miss it mm. i do have a feeling that this might end up on netflix or something mm. um i think it would be just as watchable on Netflix or something. So if it does come out on streaming and you've listened to this podcast, then I think it would be really good to catch it. Yes. Um, yeah, actually, that's really true. A, te a documentary about a television icon would be really good on television. Mm. Um, yes. So we'll go into spoilers such as they are for a documentary at this point. So if you don't want to be spoiled for Won't You Be My Neighbour, turn off the pod now and come back when you have. Or we'll go into more depth, I suppose, really, with the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Really, more detail and more stuff that we learned about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was really interested in the structure of this film, because, which I really enjoyed, because it kind of goes chronologically, but it also follows a kind of logical series of events, and it doesn't mind skipping around in time a little bit to tell certain parts of the story, mm. which I quite appreciated, because, as you know, I like chronology. Yeah. <laughs> I like things to be told in you know, the order that they happened, um, unless it's an interesting way of doing it. And uh, I like that this had a balance between chronology and storytelling. Mm. Like, you know, if it was going off on a tangent, it didn't mind showing clips from different times. Mm. Uh, Just, that yeah, was to illustrate the larger point. Yeah. Right, exactly. So when it's in the beginning of the film, you see more footage of him younger. When it's at the end of the film, you see more footage of him older. But they do throw in some other bits and pieces just to illustrate points. Mm. Yes. And it uses a whole variety of different techniques and tricks. There's a whole cartoon section of, um, I suppose, illustrating his mental state at different yeah. places in his life using Daniel, the little tiger puppet that mm. they said, you know, is most like him and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Be really beautiful animation too, like very mm. arty type animation to kind of break it up a little bit. But then they've also clearly 
gone through all of his archives. Mm. They've got really good access to his producers, to his wife, to his sons and his sister. Um, I would have loved to have seen more of the sister. Oh, it's the last note. You? Because so the sister's ca- – the character based on her in the uh, – among the puppets, Elaine, was this, it was a witch to start off with. Like, mm. And she was drawn in this particular way. So I'm fascinated to hear more from her. Me too. Because that was the most disappointing part. Ending the film was like, I want to know more about this sister because she seems very different to him. But also, yeah, any anything where – and I suspect in terms of like getting access and all that kind of thing, you've got to be – they do tread very lightly over mm. anything that doesn't align with the Mr. Rogers brand. Like they, they do make an effort to show the real person – but there's little hints of things that just are, really fascinate me. Like when the son talks about how if he was going to say something bad at the table, he would go into Elaine's voice. Mm. Which is, makes me so much more interested in the relationship yeah. between them. I know. Because it could be – like it seems like it was mostly um, friendly. Mm. Well, they, yeah. And certainly in their later life they were clearly um, close. Yeah, yeah. And clearly the boys, you know, I think for his auntie Elaine, it's not like – yeah. yeah, they don't have a relationship with her. And and also they, they said, we don't like to think that it's her, but clearly it was her. Mm. Stuff like that, you know, that, that was interesting. But I'd just be interested to see, um, and maybe she was, you know, kind of difficult with him with as a kid and nicer as they grew up or whatever. Mm. But it seems like she had quite a different personality. She seemed a little bit more sarcastic and that sort of thing. And I would have been really interested to see. And she was interviewed, but they only showed very few clips from her interview. Mm. And that's the interview that I'm most interested in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and anything that kind of starts to get below the surface to kind of show anything that's not perfectly nice or perfectly interesting any real conflicts i yeah that's where this is at it's most interesting mm. most intriguing and and you don't get a lot of that and obviously he was a genuinely wonderful person yes and genuinely tried really hard to live his life in accordance with his values um and he kind of does that but of course the most interesting thing about anyone who's nice and really tries hard is when that's that mask slips but yeah I, otherwise I, I think he'd disagree with you <laughs> Which is an interesting way. He posits an interesting way of thinking about the world Mm. in terms of goodness being interesting and things like that. And I was thinking about that also in terms of um, some of the TV we've got at the moment because that guy, um, I think his name is Joe Tallow. Uh, Um, Like the um, stage manager? Yeah, Yeah. the stage manager who was a really great interview. He was terrific. But he said something about how there's no space for nice characters on TV anymore. Mm. And firstly, I don't think that's true. Um, I think especially um, Michael Schur's shows yeah. show that that's not true because they are very much invested in goodness and good people and stuff. Mm. Um, there's also a show that I love, which is called The Middleman, mm. which has a very nice character at the center of it. But I think it is hard to make niceness and goodness interesting mm-hmm. as something that is ongoing. Yeah. And people are attracted to the darkness, to the um, to the interesting things. And I, I am interested actually because here's a quote from him around the time of the turn of this century where he talks about in the next millennium our job is to make goodness um, valued again. Um, yeah, I have the so quote. You, you would have the quote. <laughs> I don't know the exact quote but it was he talks about that and like in many ways things have gotten worse since the turn of the century but it, there is also these green shoots of shows that of people thinking about what they put on TV and what they sort of feed into people's lives. It's actually a Christian concept as well about speaking what you speak into someone's life. Mm. Um, and the Michael Schur shows definitely, but I also think there's a movement now of shows where um, with the with thing that we talk about sometimes and I'm thinking about because I just watched Bojack Horseman over the weekend and it does an examination of this in its most recent series of where you when you show when you show something bad, the risk of glorifying it mm. and especially and, and Fred Rogers particularly felt that children because children take things so literally um, that you've got to be really really careful about what you put into their world mm. um, because they'll just see the thing. Um, you th- Rick and Morty is another example of that where a lot of the ideas behind it are about how terrible this person Rick is but a lot of the people who watch the show are like take him as a hero an yeah. anti-hero and that kind of danger and that and breaking bad and stuff like yeah, that yeah this was a really um he was honestly ahead of his time in the definitely. way he talked about that it's not just about that he's definitely ahead of his time in terms of child psychology mm-hmm. and and that early childhood education stuff 
that a lot of the practices that he put into place on that show are things that only recently have come into the education sphere. Mm. Um, so that was really interesting to me. Yeah, I also thought there was a bit about uh, – sorry, we were jumping a little bit, but there's so many big themes in this uh, where they talk about how he showed a different way of being a man, about yeah. being uh, mask, like still being a man – but being vulnerable that, and loving and that kind of stuff, which was really interesting as well. It was, but that section was also – that section in itself jumped all over the place in a way that I found frustrating because mm-hmm. it sort of brushed past his homophobia, which seemed to have been an early thing, but there's no kind of – they're like, oh, he was homophobic for a bit, but then he wasn't. But there's no real – you don't see a shift there Mm-mm. in him. There's no evidence of any shift in him, but there's no evidence – the only evidence of his homophobia in the first place is Francois Clemens, another one of the best interviewees in the movie, mm. um, talking about it. Yeah. But it would have been interesting to delve a little deeper into that, especially when they then talk about the a different kind of masculinity that he presented, especially mm-hmm. in when they're showing those clips of that, um, that Julia Child's fight. Yeah, the, the, um, it's a Second City skit. Yeah, which like – we know Second City. We've watched a lot of Second City stuff. Um, that was awful. <laughs> like, that was unbelievably awful. That was just yeah. – and it, it was awful in a lot of ways that were really gendered. Mm-hmm. And um, it doesn't really go into it very much. It doesn't examine those sorts of ideas very much. It kind of – that section, especially when a lot of the other sections go into ideas a little bit more – I found that section a little bit frustrating yeah, th- because they turned it around to be more about bullying in general mm. and um, how he responded to bullying and stuff, which is fine, but like it doesn't examine how he might have been doing that to others and mm. I would have liked a little more depth on that. Yes. Especially since he was somebody who very much was about accepting each child as they are and yeah, valuing them as they are and stuff like that, which is a huge theme in the film, mm. which is sort of like, yes, well, there are little gay kids too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it is. And I, I enjoy the idea of him presenting a different kind of masculinity, but I would have liked to have seen that be examined a little more. Yeah, because... I feel that, like they had the time. Yeah, and in that sense, yeah, it's only an hour and a half. Uh, in that sense as well, that's, he was both... Like, we just talked about him being ahead of his time, but in that sense, he was very much of his time. And there are a couple of other ways I think he was of his time. Um, they talk early in the film about how he was a registered Republican. Um, and, and then go into – and then, like, all, a few minutes later, you see him talking about how terrible it is that television um, is supported by ads and it's about making kids into consumers. Yeah. And I was just like, that is extremely, you know, socialist kind of thinking, right? I think part of that is that Republican – um, ideals have shifted a lot since the 60s and yeah. he probably was around for a lot of that shift but was stuck in his ways. Yeah, and he also had some very deeply conservative ideas about tele- about violence and what you put into the world and that kind of thing because even when he's talking about programming for adults, he's particular when he's talking about children obviously because they them taking things more literally, but he's really – you can tell that he really doesn't like violence and sort of um, unkindness and that kind of thing in television in general. Yeah, and that was interesting to me. I think that's one of the reasons why, I mean, obviously his adult shows failed for a lot of reasons, Mm. but you could see that very clearly that he was connecting with children in a certain way that adults can't, that like there's, there's just too much complexity in adults to be able to connect that easily to that sort of idea. Mm. Yeah, and I think that was – because they kept talking about how he was very connected with his own childhood and he sort of hadn't mm. – was able to remember it in a way that a lot of adults don't. And then you see that reflected in the inability to connect with adults in the same way. Right. And obviously he did connect with adults and, and um, in certain ways, but I think they had to kind of shift the way they were thinking and that's a little bit more of a process than what he was presenting with children. Um, but I also think that he – as much as he was a very open person, he wasn't understanding of adults' views the same way. Mm, no, that he was of children's, which I kind of understand. But like, yeah, yeah, he got kids in a way he didn't get adults. Yeah, and given that, given the focus in his life on children and their perspective on things, I would have liked to see more 
of a child's perspective on things in this film. Mm. I would have liked to see more of children and them responding and stuff. Yeah. It kind of shifts away from that a lot and goes to his legacy on adults. Yeah, and the thing is the reason he has a legacy is because the people who grew up watching him are now in charge of culture. Mm. People our age who watched him in the 80s who were the ones who were sharing all the memes and the quotes from him. Mm. So it's um, that that sort of stuff is, yeah, interesting. And there's not a lot of people our age interviewed. It's all no. people. I, and I understand no. why you would why you would interview mostly people he knew. Mm. But I think it would be interesting also to interview people like the girl who went up to him at the commencement yeah. speech um, and things like that. that and was just as a, as a closing mm. to close it out and talk about his legacy and his impact rather than just his life. Because another person that I thought was interesting, if a little smiley, was the guy who ran the Fred Rogers Museum mm. or something like that. Yeah. He had a couple of quotes that I actually wrote down that I thought were really interesting. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, I, I think he would, be would have been, I'd say, late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. But also, like, to show children now that it, it is really – I'm really interested in the fact that he was so ahead of his time in terms of those understandings of children's behavior. Mm. And there are so many things in this that I was watching that I was like, oh, I should bring that into my teaching. Yeah, yeah. That are really interesting to me. And I I actually really agree with him and like the fact that he was talking about how what we see in here in, on the screen is part of who we become. Yeah. Because I think we're very good examples of that. I just don't necessarily think that it has to all be what he presented. No. I think you can have a wider range of things, but also you need to teach that understanding like he did about how it's not real. See, well, um, the Superman series was interesting yeah, to and, me. and that sort of teaching media literacy, which because like I was born when I was born, The Simpsons taught me media literacy, right? But Mr. Rogers was good at, at doing that in terms of, you know, the superhero week and all that, like teaching them about make-believe and, and things like that. Um, that's really important. You, you, you give people the tools to understand that stuff. As you say, adults are complex and therefore adults are going to want to make complex mm. entertainment for themselves and, and work through complex things in their art. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that provides interesting conflict yeah. to this movie and, and that then, wasn't really – And, of course, his, his stuff is aimed very much at, like, little kids, like eight and under kind of age, ten and under. And so you probably want to up your complexity once you're dealing with, say, tweens and teens. I think – a lot of his stuff would appeal even younger than that, especially yeah. now. I mean, well, I don't think it's clear, that... it's clear in his live shows that he was it was preschoolers who were mm. his main audience, and but a lot I, of his his I would stuff say eight is... and under because you know, like that sort of just as a category in general. But yeah, mostly preschool age. Yeah, I would have thought it'd be up to se- about seven that'd be the category because that's a yeah, that's a, a, a rating category for TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also it's a, it's a um, learning milestone. Up to seven is one period and seven to 14 is another period in terms of learning milestones. No, but like the Jesuits. Um, I don't know show, about the Jesuits. Show, well, they're, they're the show me the boy at seven years and I'll give you the man kind of thing. Okay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like non-scientific stuff about like things with life happening in seven-year periods. It's not wrong either. Like the, no, the, the, that, the, the, the ages from zero to seven and seven to 14 and then 14 to 21 are like distinct. Yes, they are. And, and you remember when we saw um, Room? Yes. And he was talking about how it was good that she got little Jacob Tremblay out while he was still plastic. Yeah. And things like that. Yeah. That fits into a lot of those categories. Yeah. And so that's what he, that's the particular age he cares about and that he's working with and that are particularly vulnerable to images and ideas that are getting told to them. Right. And I do think that that is really valuable. I think, but I think it's really valuable to teach alongside, like to show his brand of learning alongside other things. I don't hmm. think by itself that it's everything. No, um, no. But there are a lot of really, really interesting ideas in there and especially his idea that uh, the, the the interview that he did with the little boy in the wheelchair where he was like, mm. it's, I like you the way that you are. It's not your haircut or the chair or your clothes. It's you. And I that was really, really good and interesting as well. And those are things that I think are values that really need to be expressed yeah. Um, in ways that are clear for children. Yeah, that's that was the most valuable bit for me. It's it is a, a deeply um, Christian belief, but it's also a deeply important belief. Like the idea that we're all perfectly made, and um, that 
you don't have to do anything to be saved. Um, that's very Christian, but it is also just a really wonderful way of looking at the world. Yeah, um, that, and you don't have to do anything um, to be worthy or valuable, to, to have value. That was that was the biggest sort of takeaway of the whole thing for me, and it was just really beautifully done. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they talked about that. I mean, they, they tied a lot of it into his Christianity, and that, that's where a lot of his beliefs yeah. come from. But I feel like that goes against a lot of the premises of Christianity as we know it anyway, especially because he, when he was dying – he talked about, do you think I'm a sheep and how people are sheep and sheep and goats and yep. they get separated. And I'm like, doesn't that go against everything that you've been like trying to teach your yeah, whole life? Yeah, that you don't have to do anything other than like, yeah. I mean, in Christianity, there is other than accept Jesus into your life. But he, well, he wasn't, he was making a secular show. And so you don't have to do anything to have value. Yeah, it does. It, it's, it's an interesting, this is what I'm saying. Like when there is darkness, when he was dying, there was some stuff going on there that was more interesting that was hinted at, but I think possibly because they have the widow's permission and they have the son's permission, they might not have been able to get into that as much as they would have liked to. I think for me that's more of a fundamental um, uh, struggle in, within Christianity itself rather than him specifically. Yeah, yeah. I think that because that doesn't – it doesn't make any sense yeah, to me that you old can – old versus New Testaments, really. Right. It doesn't make any sense to me that you can – think both that you are perfect when you are born and that you have original sin and everybody is a sinner and is terrible and when you die you go to hell yeah that doesn't i can't yeah like i can't marry those two things no but i, uh, I can't either yeah it's it, a it, very it makes, strange ideology it makes no sense to me either because the perfectly made and perfectly innocent when you're born makes perfect sense to me like if you've ever seen a newborn baby you cannot look at a newborn baby and not think that this is a perfect little soul who's never done anything wrong and absolutely is worthy of being here. Like, you can't. Mm. But, and then, yeah, I don't know. Original sin makes no sense to me either. But I've never really gotten into it. And that whole thing about his sort of, he's Presbyterian, but his Christianity was very evangelical. Not And not in the sense of modern evangelicals. I mean in the sense of, like, very much focused around the New Testament and Jesus and, like, what is, you know, and, and valuing every person and valuing the sinners and all that kind of thing. Like that seemed to be where his focus lay. Yeah. I wonder if maybe he didn't have to engage with that. Well, it looked like he did a little bit with the people in jail in that adult series. Yeah. But because he was engaging largely with children, I wonder how much that came into well, that, that, things. The, and the thing is the world that he lived in with the kids, like that is that is a world where you can simplify things a lot. Mm. Uh, in a way that it's much harder with adults. Yeah, but he he also had a real knack for explaining complex things in a way that is simple for children and being mm. very honest and clear about it. Yeah. Um. I I really enjoyed the clips of the show that they had, especially like conversations that they had that were tougher and things when it would the movie would slow down and actually show us those yeah. those scripts oh, that the, he wrote. I talk about crying. That conversation that he has with a little boy whose cat has died. Yeah. If I ever need to method act, just talk to me about a cat dying. I will just choke up. Yeah, and, and the um, they talk very briefly about how you weren't allowed to ad-lib on the show. He was very deliberate in the words that he used. but obviously, Which makes sense. Yeah, which, absolutely. But when, when he's talking to the kids, there's obviously a little more, like the, you don't always know how the kids are going to respond. Yes, but I think he, again, because he was in control of those conversations. Mm. And so he knew all the ways that, he thought were the right ways to respond to things. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was really, like, those were the most kind of intriguing parts of the movie. And the the concept of him, you know, expressing himself through one puppet and another puppet and, like, so especially the shift from Daniel to King Friday. Yep. Um, and how he became quite, um, like, dominant on the set with, like how he wanted things to be, which also makes sense if you're trying to get a message across. If anything dilutes that message or if anybody puts in something that isn't in line with that message, then you're responsible for that and you're responsible for how that affects the children. Yeah, and the, the he built a brand and he, when you start out... I think that he would also really, really He would really hate dislike that, that, but he did. He built a brand and, and the longer the Mr. Rogers brand was out there, the more important it became to him and the more famous it became, the more important it was to him to maintain the brand and keep the integrity of the brand. And one of the things I think that was interesting with that is, of course, um, Francois Clemens talking about his 
um, his um, homosexuality mm. and that he had to get married and that he couldn't go to this club anymore and mm. all that sort of stuff because of the show and because um, Mr. Rogers told him yeah. that he couldn't um, because it was seen as, you know, sinful and whatever. Not part of the brand. And and not part of the brand, yeah. Yeah. Um, which, it see, like, again, they imply that he came around on it, but they don't express it yeah. visually, no. which was strange. Um, yeah. And and then they do that. But you had gay friends. Yeah, heaps of them. But they never You're mentioned like, okay. who their gay friends were or any of that. Like, I mean, he was paid the ultimate compliment, which is to have the Westboro Baptist Church pick at your funeral. Like, yes. that is the ultimate compliment that you can be paid. But – they never, and that's the thing is that they like the, that. the very end of the movie specifically says he tolerated gay people. Yeah, so there must have been something, a person who could have spoken about it, or a way that, like, not just the one that one guy, Francois Clemens, who I think, I mean, I think he was central to yeah the whole thing, but like there must have been something he did mm. publicly to show support for gay people, mm. or else why would they? Yeah, why would they pick at his funeral? Right. Like, yeah. I, I think that's – it would yeah. be interesting to actually see that. That's a missing piece. Yeah, yeah a missing piece. Um, mm. But, yeah, I think there are a few missing pieces Yeah, throughout the film. Like, I, I get what they were doing and I think that they told, like, a fairly neat and tidy story and they were trying to get across his mm. message to adults yeah. in a way that I don't think he could have. This doco is about reinforcing the legacy. It's not necessarily about – digging into yes. everything but i also think i think that yeah i think that this mo- doco is about trying to teach adults what fred rogers couldn't teach adults yeah yeah that's right and i and- think it's presenting fred rogers legacy and beliefs and philosophy in a way that is consumable by adults mm. and it's, it's particularly coming for the adults who watched it as children who are now who you know our age and older uh, and and saying, remember what you learned. Remember the messages that you were brought up with. Remember what he was about, mm. and reinforce that, and bring that into your day to day life. Yes, that is a message right at the end of the film as well. What are you going to do? That's one mm. of the quotes that I wrote down from the man. Yeah, because they and because they save the look for their helpers quote to right at the end, yeah. which kind of works because one of his last appearances was post nine eleven, and they showed a little bit of that, which was really interesting because. We sort of forget because it's so long ago now how 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 what that was like in those weeks afterwards, and he was he looked kind of defeated at that point. But they tie then that into the quote about looking for the helpers, which mm. he quotes he attributes to his mother mm. um, as saying. So they they do like th- that's how it finishes up. Look for the helpers. What are you going to do to make the world a better place today? Yeah, and um, that obviously that quote didn't come from his nine eleven no no appearances. I think it is also. I think he had a very clear idea of what 9-11 was going to do to the world. Mm. And they talk a bit about how he would respond to the world as it is now. I think a lot of the world as it is now has been affected by 9-11 and Mm -hmm. America's response to it. And um, there's clear parallels drawn in this movie as well between history that he lived through and now mm-hmm. um there's a section of, like the very first show the very first show that they did the very first week mm. that they did mr rogers neighborhood on tv they did a section on king friday building a wall to keep out people he didn't like because he was on top mm. it's really interesting that that's the very first week that they had and yeah. i also wrote down build a wall will never have the same meaning again yeah, um, and they very deliberately start with that. But also, Mr. Rogers very deliberately started with that in yeah. 1967. In, yeah, because there's this musical that I was listening to, I've been listening to recently, um, Hadestown. Mm. And in that, the one of the things is about Hades building a wall around his city um, to keep out poverty, essentially. Mm. Poverty is the enemy and that's why we build the wall. And it's it was at the time a literalization of something that was more like of a concept or an idea Mm. but now we have the literal version of that in trump Mm. like that he is the literal version of all these things that used to be ideas that we've always been warned against Mm. Mm. um in fiction in things like mr rogers neighborhood and in hades town and various other things yeah whereas now we have like and and the thing is it's so 
it's so ridiculous and it's so like unimaginable mm. and yet it's really happening. Yeah. And I think that would be really yeah. It would be really interesting to see how Mr. Rogers would respond to that because it is such a different world mm. to what he grew up in. And I noted that a few times, the change in culture and the shift in culture. Um yeah. and how a lot of the stuff that he was like even just at the beginning when when he's introduced as someone who is ordained a minister and had a particular interest in children. And I'm like, went, well, oh that doesn't boy, sound that good. doesn't sound good. But but yeah, and I was thinking about him actually generationally as well. He was born in nineteen twenty eight, which makes him two years younger than the present queen, if you want to like in terms so roughly the age of our grandparents, basically. My grandparents were born in nineteen twenty six and nineteen twenty seven. So that generation, like he lived through the war as a young man, like as a teenager when the second world war was happening and it's that sort of generation that post-war post-war was actually a really good period because people knew what the reality of war was like and and there was a lot of effort put into like making sure people had jobs and and livable wages and men yeah oh yes men white men too and but you i mean there is also a civil rights movement that happens from that generation but looking at him generationally and thinking about what he would have what he lived through and some of the ways that was reflected in what he did um i think is also interesting because you very much have to put that context he's very much of his time you have to put that context Mm. into it and he does use the universal he quite often which i found yeah, I mean, and, and I, it, it is grating, but I mean, but would have been normal in his time, right? Yeah. And he later on, there's some later footage of him from the 90s where he says he or she, mm. uh, where nowadays we would say they, mm. um, we would just use the the singular they, but yeah, in, in he then he he seems switch that language up. Because mm. um, I've got a couple of quotes from the early on, and especially some because some of the most influential quotes that i found do use the universal he yeah um because there's a quote early on where he says i don't think anyone can grow unless he's accepted exactly as he is yeah yeah which was so good and important and interesting but also has that universal he in it um and he also does the same thing when he went before that senator to try and save pbs yeah and basically single-handedly did save pbs um with his lyrics to the i can stop if i want to song which was amazing and i really liked it yeah i really liked that that was what what do you do when the mad gets too much yeah uh, that was just fantastic yeah but it is really uh it it is interesting yeah because it it sort of ties back into an older tradition those post-war values are like enlightenment liberalism yeah which nowadays we we sort of realized isn't necessarily um, working because it was all about you know what like white men and white landowning men and all that kind of thing were able to do but yeah I think it's interesting to think of him in his time mm. but I also think that if he were around today he would he would have also been able to understand how it happened and seen how it mm. how it happened yeah I, I think he would still be kind of trying and doing special episodes and trying to make sense of things I would hope so but you don't know and. Mm. As they said, but yeah, um, and he would be you know, ninety now. So yeah, when you were talking about the um, crying, there's there was a quote early on because he has a song at the end of the episodes about how he likes you as you are, mm. and a kid comes up to him and says, "Mr. Rogers, I like you as you are," mm. which now is making me emotional. <laughs> mm. But like the fact that that's become so ingrained in them, yeah, that, like that they accept that as real and say that back to him. It's very sweet and I really loved that moment. Oh, yeah, he's completely got to the me. way he, he reacts to the kids. Mm. Um, sometimes his faces as well. Like there's a point at which he says something. I think it might be oh in what it's later on, but it's I can't remember exactly what it was in response to, but he kind of looks at the camera with this shit eating grin of yeah, I just said that. Mm. When, because he really like didn't pull his punches. He said what he felt a lot of the time. Um, mm. in, in ways that were probably, if you're a parent watching at home, you'd be like, did he just, oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, and presented things in very yeah, clear and so, ways. Yeah, so, and sometimes you see his reactions to kids and he's just like so delighted yeah. with them that he's so excited to hear the messages parroted back to him, to just like kind of delights in all the kids. The best quote from the floor manager guy, I can't remember his name, but the best interview where he, where he talks about sometimes these kids were real dicks. Yeah. And, Fred would just roll with it and he would never act as though they were dicks. And I was just no, like, he, yeah, he would, it was, um, 
<laughs> that quote. There were kids there that were little bastards, and then yeah, um, and um, but he would never say, you know, you being little bastards. No, he would never say, get this little dick out of here. I think it was yeah, something like, like that. that. And it was just yeah, it, um, that that kind of stuff was really like he did genuinely loved doing what he was doing, teaching kids, making their lives better, and genuinely loved kids. Yeah, yeah. And his responses to them, yeah, there was that that um the boy in the wheelchair and the boy whose cat died and yeah um but also the girl who i think was disabled with the helmet who gave him the pictures yeah 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 um he's like oh these are such treasures and then he brought out the, the, owl, the puppet that she, she had the drawn pictures. so that yeah. she could have the moment with him it was very mm. sweet yeah he was um very conscious of every moment um it's one of those things like when people are really famous uh they talk about how like they might not remember every person they meet, but you can guarantee the person who met them will remember it for the rest mm. of their lives. And he was really, really conscious that every kid that he met would always remember meeting him. Except for the kid in the wheelchair who then came out to present something to him later and his face just lit up and oh. he got up out of his chair and you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, that was oh God. He was just so – he loved it. Yeah, he was so happy to see him yeah, again. And, it was and just, just mind-blowing. With him it just seems – genuine mm. like it's not like um sorry the queen again of his generation she has talked about this like where she talks about how she might not remember everyone she meets but it, they will remember her and it's her job to make sure that they have a moment with her that is like that they go away from that interaction remembering that because they will remember it and so she, it's her job to make sure that it's she's polite and friendly and she puts mm. her best face on but i with with fred rogers you feel like he just that was what he was like with them? Yes. I think that – I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Mm. And, of course, there are – obviously, for him, some of the kids stood out more than others, like Jeff. Yeah. That little boy. That's it, Jeff. I, I loved I how he remembered all the kids' names too, by the way, because that's something that you do yeah. as a teacher. Whereas to me, like, I'm just like, oh, some little bastard. Like, literally, I don't remember children unless it's a kid I actually care about. And there's very few kids I actually care about. Like, usually they're my friend's children or my relatives or whatever. But you will remember every single kid you teach and you remember all their names. And he does that in that same way. Um, my mm. my school, um, high school principal used to do the same. She would know, knew everybody's name. Yeah. Absolutely everybody's. And that was is um, a very teachery thing to do. Yeah. I mean, if you come up to me three years after I've taught you <laughs> the likelihood – I mean, I might remember your name. I try to, but like – that I, I meet a lot of children. But also, it's it's clear also some stood out, like Jeff Ellinger. Yeah. Obviously stood out to him. But, yeah, he, he would really remember. And, and there was another, he was like, oh, I was in this preschool classroom and there's a kid called Thatcher. Yeah. That's very teachery. Yes. But, um, and also, yeah, that was a moment, a particular moment that he had where he felt like he was tested. And, boy, mm. did, I, uh, did I respond to that because mm. you are tested. Yeah. You walk into a classroom and they start testing you immediately. They start trying to figure you out as soon as you walk in there. So, yeah, it is, it was interesting. Um, I responded to a lot of the stuff in this, in that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, um, I also think that the Francois Clemens interviews were really interesting because they presented a different view of the world to the one that Fred Rogers had yeah. and could understand. Mm -hmm. um, he also says at one point early on that he always felt that police officers were the most dangerous people in the neighborhood mm -hmm. as a black child growing up. Yeah. And they wanted to change that and really were challenging um, a lot of the racism of the time. Mm. I mean, we're talking about homophobia, but like that was barely even a blip on the radar of 1967 when they had people attacking black people in pools yeah. and things. Yeah, and um, he was sitting there, and a, a very, um, very Christian way of doing it, washing their feet, almost yes. literally, like sitting with their feet in the pool together. That was yeah. that was just a lovely moment. It was, and it was he was. Uh, <laughs> there's a moment in the movie where a guy says, um, "One of the most important." something in his life was will and i thought will was a person till no, the next line no, yeah 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 no i think you got it but i didn't yeah i was like who have we seen a will yeah who is iron this will yeah but he didn't say that the first time he just said no. will in a sentence yeah. where it sounds like a name and then the next sentence he says yeah that's right they talked about the 143 and, thing yeah and stuff. perseverance and like he, yeah, he was particularly kind of stubborn and bullheaded about things. Right, and I think that comes through in those sorts of things where he's mm. like, no, I'm going to do this and, mm. you know, that's what we're going to do, um, that he really could have brought to mm. um, homophobia. <laughs> but yeah. anyway. 
but uh, yeah, the, the Francois Clemens interviews were just fantastic. Mm. And his relationship with Fred Rogers was also a very loving and, and close one, mm. but I think might have been more contentious than almost anybody else in the films yeah. because of his different background and that he was a black gay man mm. um, who had to work beside this white straight Mm. icon of television um for such a long time is really interesting yeah and uh, like francois as well like has just clearly lives in a different world like even the way he dresses for the interview with his mm. necklaces and his his earring and everything like that and the way he uh, the way he's um relaxed over the years like when he was closeted and playing the policeman and it was he's very he even looks physically different than now when he is properly out and older and um really living more authentically yeah i'm just going through there's so many quotes that we haven't even looked at but a lot of them are um a lot of them are just around children and Mm. so i had two other ones that i wrote down that were like one of them's our striving to understand children's feelings and respond to them is the most important task in this world Mm. um when he was talking about children's feelings and the fact that adults don't think that children feel as much as they do yeah, um, that, which well, I talk about, I think, in a couple of movie reviews we've done. Well, um, it's the kind of thing that's only just now coming into like parenting um, advice and things like that, where it's particularly around tantrums and particularly in like sort of preschool age children, where they've got their feelings are too big for their little bodies and they don't have like they're having these really big feelings, but they don't know what to do with them and they don't always have the tools or capability to deal with them in a healthy way, and so it often ends results in tantrums and things like that. But that is a relatively modern way of looking at parenting when the mad gets too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, again, ahead of his time on that stuff. Yes. But like that, really genuinely honoring what the kids are feeling. And what, instead of being like, um, you know, trying to get obedience, you actually think about what's the cause and yeah. work out how to like, you know, how to work with that. But he, I think he was also looking at the difference between like the, that people wouldn't tell their kids properly about, um, major tragedies and things because they were thinking they were protecting them but really those kids are feeling all of the emotions that they're feeling in response to them but don't have the same tools to be able to deal with them so it is the responsibility of the adults to give them the tools yeah and to talk with them frankly and openly about what's happening in a way that they can understand Mm. and then like deal with the feelings and so that that is one of the reasons why that cat thing which i think affected you in a different way um was interesting to me is because I thought that he would respond to that in a way that was like, it makes me sad or something. But he said, that makes me feel scared. Yeah. And that connected with the kid. And I was like, oh, he's more in touch with this kid's feelings than I am to start with. But also that he knew the right things to say in the right ways. And he kind of got the kid to then be the leader by the end of that in comforting Daniel the puppet, mm. right? About something that had happened to the kid. So he kind of brought the kid out of himself. Really interesting yeah. to me. And the way that he always ended with Daniel when he was like, I like that person, you know, stuff like that. It's very sweet, but also mm. really interesting. And like, and like you can talk to this person. They are like that the puppet was vetting them for him or They're something. Safe. Yeah. Yeah. And that that person then knew that Mr. Rogers and the puppet, Daniel, may, felt safe with them. Yeah. And give them some ownership of their own experiences and things. Yeah. Well, it's clear was really interesting. to me that sort of his greatest legacy and his calling was actually kind of helping the children of America through big tragedies, mm. um, which is why they brought him out again after 9-11 and which is why obviously people think of him now, like when we're in moments of, like international crisis and like it seems like the show really took off after the um bobby kennedy assassination Mm. piece like when they're talking about what's an assassination all that kind of thing and then obviously the you know him testifying at the senate hearings and things like that Mm. but uh that sort of that's his biggest thing and he obviously did special week on that and he did special and then he did weeks on other things that were like not necessarily so acute, but the acute tragedies were really uh, when he kind of was at his best. But then he was also able to do like bigger social things like dealing with divorce uh, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So he that's the real kind of legacy, I think. I think there's a lot in the legacy and that's part of but, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, and I mean, I think the fact that he was on TV through such a – through a period of upheaval, like he started in 1967 or 1968 right in the 
in the middle of the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War and um, you know post Kennedy assassination just before like th- that time was a very turbulent time in America. Mm. Yeah, and they also the, draw very clear comparisons between Trump and Nixon. Yeah, that's right. Um, I didn't even get into that, like, about public broadcasting and all that kind of stuff, even though this week in Australia we've had, like, all kinds of stuff about public broadcasting and, and how uh-huh. that happens. In Australia, public broadcasting is still government-funded, I believe. In in the States, PBS has to do subscription drives several times a year and, like, people donate money to it, which sounds horrible. Here it at least still that, is government-funded. but Yeah, but it sounds very much like the US. Yeah, um, yeah but that's typical, yeah, America really. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about the um, the Francois Clemens thing again. Mm-hmm. He also said at one point, if he came out as gay and there was a scandal, that would let down the race. So there's some intersectionality. Yeah, and and in... not even from that's not coming from like Mr. Rogers. No, that was from that's coming him. from yeah from his community as well. Yeah, um, and the fact that like he was representing black people on TV for children yeah, at that time because he was the only one on the show. Right, and um, there's a quote that. He had, I think, that I also connected with. There's a, I think there's a lot of stuff in this film, like that you can tell that he was bullied and he didn't like to be bullied and laughed at and things, mm-hmm. and he was trying to, um, help kids through that. Yeah, and to always feel confident in themselves and stuff. Mm. Um, and he had a quote as well that said, "Those who would make you feel less than you truly are is the greatest evil." Yeah. Um, or there are those that who would make you feel less than you truly are and that is the greatest evil Mm. which was really interesting to me i think he um a lot of that stuff about how he values children and their emotions and things is because people adults do make them feel like less than they are they make Mm. them feel like and a lot of people never recover from that Mm. and they always feel small like the guy in the jail was talking about like that that they never recover from that feeling that adults didn't let them feel like they were and then that that was that really personal one as well that like seemed almost more personal than universal when he was talking about am i a mistake with the puppet yeah and like i thought that adults would laugh at me to when i tried to do the things that they did and stuff like that but they were telling me to grow up and mm. all that sort of stuff felt almost more personal yeah because there's also him. stuff about i'm too gentle or yeah. too you know um I'm too this and too that. It felt very, very personal. And I think everybody kind of, you know, has those moments of I'm too whatever, I'm too different. But mm. he really personalized that. And I think that that kind of came through a lot in the movie. Mm. That, like, he was being really, really willful <laughs> about making sure that he never caved to any of that mm. and that he taught children that like then that's the whole thing you know mm. i like you the way that you are and all of that is yeah. all about and and all of his um his activism was around not making children feel less than they are and and being an advocate for children mm. it's interesting anyway, yeah absolutely. i think that's everything that i feel like i need to say yeah i mean the, yeah it's a really wonderful film and it will really make you think yeah um, yeah i i think i've probably said all that i wanted to say as well and i'm very glad that i'm now know a little bit more about him mm. um i'm glad that i can sort of put some of uh the legacy into context yeah and i'm glad we got to see it yes before me too it, before it, it disappeared from cinemas because it, it's really good um yeah and a good documentary that's the whole point of a good documentary and like you care about stuff that you don't know anything about yes i've been in a real documentary mode lately where i've been really into documentaries yeah um and this was a really good one i think i liked yeah the structure of it and stuff was really worked really well i i, I really like the way that it did that storytelling with also having themes for each section yeah well there's a bit um talking about what he doesn't like on tv where he he talks about there's no regard for human dignity and he shows the tv that was really popular at the time which is a lot of slapstick and people falling over yeah and but you see it comes back again because like they show bits of the 90s tv show you can't do that on television where they slimed people yeah and he obviously what his you know not wanting to his sense of dignity and his sense of not being bullied was all very tied up together and about and he didn't like watching all that stuff which is funny because like slapstick is a guaranteed way to get kids to laugh it's like a fart joke they love that like that stuff is in general a hit with kids yeah and i think some of that he was a very sensitive person and that can be really good yeah yeah i think some of that might have been sensitivity um 
in a way that maybe not necessarily beneficial. Well, that's why I'm saying because it's very deep conservatism. I talked about at the start. It's it's all part of that. His view of the world is it's, conservatism isn't necessarily sensitive either. No, but he's very conservative about what he is willing to show. Yeah, in terms of that's like true. protecting people's dignity and, and things like that. Yeah, um, which was that that was where you saw the conservatism, but other uh, you know, in other other ways he was very radical. I think you saw a lot of the conservatism just in how he presented himself and how his like personal values off screen. Like mm. he could, and that's one of the things with those kids shows is that you can often afford to just. And he would address big issues, but like big issues that challenged his views. Mm don't seem to be things that he went into. Mm-hmm. I would be interested in that. So, like, you know, um, well, he's so this... interested in, like, in ending racism and, the, you know, yeah, that black children were just as important and worthy and all that sort of stuff. So Yeah, I, I'm inter- I'll be actually interested. There's a Tom Hanks movie about Mr. Rogers yeah, coming I'm... out in the next year or so, and I will be interested to, as to where that goes in terms of what, whether, what it explores. I was also, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking there's a – reason why there's a Tom Hanks movie and this documentary all coming out in the time of Donald mm. Trump. Oh, it's no accident. It's no accident. Um, yeah. We need Tom Hanks to be America's dad again. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's probably the closest thing we have to a Mr. Rogers at the moment, I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in that he is somebody who is <laughs> so far unproblematic and um, genuinely nice and all that sort of stuff that mm. Mr. Rogers, you know, inhabited. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I'm giving this movie four stars. Yeah, I think I will too. I'm utterly surprised at how much I enjoyed this. So yeah, um, I just think that I wish they'd gone in a little deeper. Yeah, that's. I think that's why I'm going for four. Yes, it's I, not quite deep enough. No, there's digging there and the stuff that's left tantalizingly unanswered. Yeah. Okay, I'll wrap up then. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. And if you'd like to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silver screen queens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.